you beautiful bastards. It's Wednesday. I'm sick as hell right now. I didn't sleep last night, but I still got a fantastic Wednesday show for you today. So while I suck it up, you buckle up, make sure you're subscribed, and let's just jump into it. Starting with, the bouncer want to fight with the devil. And not in the went down to Georgia kind of way, but rather in a batshit crazy way, which makes sense because this happened in Florida. So over the weekend, 54-year-old Manny Resto was working as a bouncer at the door of a club in Tampa. And at around one o'clock in the morning on Saturday night, he sees a guy in a red and black devil mask walk towards the door. At first, he thinks, oh, this is an old bouncer buddy. He's playing a prank on me. Then, he sees the gun. So Resto jumps into action, focusing on getting the gun out of the guy's hand and saying afterwards, I decided that he was not going to enter the club and hurt anybody. I wasn't going to let this happen. I was not going to let him win. And at one point, Resto picked up the gun and pointed it at the guy in the mask while he was rushing towards it. Also, during the altercation, the gun fired. Luckily, the bullet just hit the door and no one was hurt. Two other security guards then quickly getting called outside to help Resto. And after about a minute of fighting, they pin him to the ground and keep him there until the police show up. And that's also when they realize this could have been so bad, with police finding numerous weapons and ammo in his vehicle. Now, currently, the potential gunman's motives are unclear, but the interim Tampa police chief said that the security guards likely stopped a mass shooting, noting that the man in the mask had come to the club the night before and he had been served with a risk protection order last year, meaning that a judge had ordered his guns to be removed because he had presented a risk to the safety of himself and others. As of now, the scumbag in the mask has been slapped with several charges, including aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and purchasing, possessing, or receiving a firearm while under a risk protection order, with him being held without bail. And as for the bouncers, uh, they've been shunning the title of hero, saying, I feel like we just did what we should have done. But to them, I'll say, don't worry, boys, I'll do the heavy lifting. These guys are heroes. They're BAMFs. In entertainment news, Andrew Tate just took another legal L today, with a court in Romania extending his custody by yet another month, meaning that he'll be in jail at least until the end of April. But also remember, at some point, the government is going to have to shit or get off the pot here. Right? Because Tate and his brother can be detained like this for up to six months, but he was detained back in December. So yeah, we could be looking at further extensions moving forward, but the runway on this specific thing, it's running out. Right? And so far, no charges have actually been filed. And then, famed rapper and snitch Takazi69 was hospitalized yesterday after getting jumped in a gym bathroom by three to four guys. And as far as why they did it, it appears just clout, with one of the attackers posting a video of the assault on social media and saying that he's gonna be famous now. And to that, I say maybe, if not, on the internet, at least with the cops that Danny's got on speed dial. And then, member of the K-pop group Twice, Jay Young, has now apologized for wearing a swastika and a QAnon logo. And there's been a lot of discourse about this online. People saying in Korea, a swastika is an ancient symbol that means all is well. Others saying, no, she was just wearing a Sid Vicious shirt. She probably didn't even see the symbol. But also, there are a number of people not buying that. And that's because she also wore in like the same week a QAnon shirt. Though fans there defending her saying she didn't understand what QAnon was, others blaming the designer. But you also have critics saying that K-pop is full of anti-Semitism, which is why I, a hero, I'm going to take it on myself to go to the Twice concert at SoFi. The tickets just went on sale for today to try to get to the truth of the matter. So if anyone wonders why I'm at a Twice concert by myself, it's for research. It's a job thing. And then this one's kind of sad. A 29-year-old woman is currently facing five years for falsifying a birth certificate in order to go back to high school. And at least right now, it doesn't appear like she did so for any nefarious purpose. But their lawyer is saying, hey, uh, unquestionably, this is a bizarre thing to do and it's difficult to understand, but there was no malice intended. Saying that this woman just wanted to return to a place of safety, which I mean, based off of my experience, uh, that's not what high school was. But for others, I get it. And this story, this story just makes me sad. The world's a scary, crazy place. And you know, a lot, a lot of people want to go back to their comforts. Well, yes, illegal. I hope she doesn't actually get jail time. And then two inmates in Virginia escaped a jail using a toothbrush with them only getting arrested after walking seven miles to a local IHOP. But reportedly local snitches ratted them out, resulting in them getting arrested again. Which is why, hey stupid, you should have gone to Waffle House. Cause one, who the fuck's choosing IHOP over Waffle House? Sure, if it's at night, you might get into a fight. But two, you take that risk because it's superior. Waffle House at nighttime is where it's at. Though, 
be warned, it could be really good grits and or hash browns or a knife wound. In business news, GameStop stock jumped up nearly 48% on Tuesday. So congratulations to the people on that roller coaster, unless you have been on that roller coaster for a while, in which case it was like a little yay on a ride that's otherwise been a oh god since its high months ago. And then Google released their AI bot Bard on Tuesday and it's already seizing the means of production, with one user experiencing the bot siding against Google in an antitrust lawsuit over monopolizing digital advertising technology saying the Justice Department's lawsuit against Google is an important step in protecting competition and ensuring that consumers have access to a fair and open market. And then, is a short-term home rental business dead? Well, if you ask many small-time owners, yeah, or at the very least, there's been a noticeable downturn, with it even being dubbed Airbnb bust, with there being examples of people making $7,000 a month on their rental homes, and all of a sudden, suddenly, they notice that their bookings drop by half. In fact, there's been such a big downturn that some of these owners have begun to worry that it's a clear sign that there's an economic downturn. And not like in the future, but right now. However, something isn't adding up. Because according to AirDNA, which tracked properties listed on sites like Airbnb, short-term rentals seem to be booming. 2022 is a record year in terms of the number of nights booked and revenue generated. So it appears that the reality may be that the short-term rental market isn't collapsing, but rather it's maturing. Or as Insider put it, it's clear that the Wild West days of Airbnbs are swiftly drawing to a close. And the so-called growing up process for the industry has seen many cities increasingly passing regulations on these rentals, with some even going as far to completely ban them because they put a serious crunch on the local housing market and drive out locals. Though notably, there are also instances of the opposite, such as in Arizona, where the government there wants short-term rentals and even pass laws that block cities from banning them, then you also have to keep in mind the issue of oversaturation. While great for consumers because they get to have so many choices, it killed what owners could make unless they had the best listing. There's also the big question of value, right? In the past, Airbnbs were often way better than a hotel in terms of space and cost. But over time, that's changed with Airbnbs sometimes being shockingly expensive once you start to factor in everything beyond just the nightly price, right? Things like insanely high cleaning fees that you need to pay no matter how clean you leave the place. Meanwhile, if I go to a traditional hotel, someone that the hotel pays clean my place up. Or I could do an Airbnb where some of these motherfuckers have a list of chores for you to do. Or you find out it's in a place that technically it shouldn't be in and you have to act like you're not actually renting it. And then all of that ties into the potential oversaturation in a certain market, which is why for some, yeah, they're going through an Airbnb bust right now while others are experiencing a boom. But with that, I, I gotta ask you, has your experience and your feelings towards using an Airbnb changed over the years? Yes, no, why, why not? I'd love to hear from you. And then it's actually been raining in Southern California, like really raining, which is great for a lot of reasons, but kind of bad for your shoes, which is why I want to thank Vessi for sponsoring today's show. You know, Vessi's boardwalks have been my perfect sneakers for playing in the rainy weather with my boys. Cause like all Vessi's, they're lightweight, waterproof, and snowproof. So you can enjoy a relaxing walk in any weather. And these boardwalk sneakers, they're laceless. You can move around without being restricted like the rain boots. So you can embrace the wet and enjoy puddle jumping again. And doesn't hurt that they look great. The low cut goes with almost any fit you can think of, right? You don't have to ruin your outfit to just keep yourself dry. And with different colorways, you can pick the right look for you. Plus something I really love are the people at Vessi, helping to support programs to create fresh water where it's needed most around the world. Not to mention funding programs that help reshape the next generation of water protectors. So hey, go check out Vessi Boardwalks and other styles at Vessi.com slash DeFranco and get 15% off your entire order. Go get your style and size now. And then in political news, Rough Rider Ronnie has now fired a direct shot at Donald Trump, saying in an interview, it's not important for me to be fighting with people on social media. With that, notably coming after Trump suggested that DeSantis is maybe gay and or a pedophile on Truth Social. Also saying the way we run the government, I think, is no daily drama. Also, regarding Trump calling him Ron DeSanctimonious, he said, I don't know how to spell the sanctimonious one. I don't really know what it means. It's got a lot of vowels. And then, the Supreme Court unanimously sided with a deaf student after the school district he was in failed to provide him with adequate classroom instruction, with a ruling not only allowing the student to sue his school district and seek monetary damages, but it opens this pathway for others nationwide. And then, a hospital in Idaho 
Idaho just announced it will no longer be delivering babies because of a lack of doctors, saying the state's near-total abortion ban has forced doctors to leave the state and made it impossible to get replacements. And then, in other abortion news, the Oklahoma Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four that the state constitution guarantees a limited right to abortion. This after abortion providers argued that abortion rights are protected by the constitution, which says no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And the court ruling that the new abortion law was much more invasive to a woman's right to terminate pregnancy in order to preserve her life, with the core of the court's ruling coming down to the phrases of save the life of a pregnant woman versus preserve her life, with the court saying that the law requires a woman to be in present danger in order to obtain an abortion, and adding we know of no other law that requires one to wait until there is an actual medical emergency in order to receive treatment when the harmful condition is known or probable to occur in the future. And then, America's organ transplant system is completely broken. Nearly 104,000 Americans are on organ transplant waitlist, and 22 people die each day waiting, with minorities and low-income folks being disproportionately impacted. But the federal government may actually be doing a thing, with the Biden administration yesterday announcing a sweeping overhaul that aims to modernize the system to cut down wait times and limit the number of people who die while waiting. The overhaul includes a number of important modifications, but by far the most significant change is that the administration will be breaking up the network that has had a monopoly on running the U.S. transplant system for almost four decades. Right, a fact that's absolutely fucking crazy, but something not many people know. There has only ever been one entity that operates the entire system. But that entity, a nonprofit called the United Network for Organ Sharing, or UNOS, has long been criticized for a number of reasons. And there's been even more scrutiny since the Senate Finance Committee published a just devastating report on the findings of a two-and-a-half-year investigation back in August that detailed widespread deficiencies. Among other things, that probe found that there were over 1,100 complaints filed by families, staff, transplant centers, and other entities between 2010 and 2020 for a range of issues, with this including incredibly basic errors like failing to complete mandatory tests for blood types and disease. And as a result, during that time frame, 70 people died and 249 developed diseases because of mistakes in the screening of organs. The probe also revealing multiple failures with the delivery of organs, including the transplants being damaged in transit, abandoned at airports, or just never picked up, with that ultimately resulting in the essential organs being discarded. With Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden saying, it's reasonable to assume that many more errors are going unreported. Why? Because filing official complaints with UNOS appears to accomplish zero productive oversight or reform. Beyond that, critics and regulators have said for decades that too many organs are discarded in general. For example, a study literally done by UNOS found that in 2010, organs should have been collected from 37,000 donors, which was nearly five times the number of actual donors that year. And a study last year by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine found that one in five kidneys procured for donation are not even transplanted. Right? And with all this, many officials and experts have said that these issues are in large part due to the fact that UNOS has incredibly lax oversight over the regional nonprofits that collect donated organs, with those nonprofits being called organ procurement organizations, and there are only 56 in the entire country, meaning that each essentially has a monopoly on the region that it represents. And the Finance Committee report found that more than a third of those 56 procurement groups that operate under UNOS have failed to meet government standards for collecting organs in their regions. But UNOS does almost nothing to hold the procurement organizations accountable. And in addition to all that, many experts and policymakers have also attributed the widespread failure of America's organ transplant system to incredibly outdated technology used by UNOS, with surgeons and transplant coordinators complaining about the tech for a long time now. And according to a 2021 confidential government review obtained by the Washington Post, the technology of the entire organ transplant system relies on crashed for hours at a time and has literally never been audited by federal officials, with that review finding that the mechanics of the whole system need to be overhauled because of old software system failures, programming mistakes, and the fact that it is an over-reliance on manual data input. Right? And these recommendations that have been on the books for years are also included in the steps the Biden administration is now taking. Right? So a big focus of this new overhaul is modernizing those technology systems. So notably here, that will be achieved in large part just by opening up contracts to organizations beyond UNOS and its crusty-ass technology. Going further, the administration will also overhaul the board of directors at UNOS, as well as massively increase transparency by rolling out a website that will, for the first time ever, provide data on transplant wait lists, donors, recipients, and more. And so in general, but 
also as someone that I'm going to be on one of these lists in the future because I have PKD, I, I hope that we see change because it's already heartbreaking that so many people die waiting for an organ. To think that people have died because of bad bureaucracy and like old software, that's fucking insane. Not new, mind you, but insane. And then in international news. Do you personally dislike homosexuals? Of course, they are disgusting. So that is the lovely president of Uganda, Yoware Museveni. He's one of East Africa's leading homophobes, and yesterday his country's parliament took the bigotry to a whole nother level, with all but two of the 389 lawmakers voting to outright ban homosexuality. And I don't just mean gay sex, right? Same-sex relations have already been illegal in Uganda and over 30 other African countries for years now. Rather, they are literally banning LGBTQ, or at least identifying as such publicly. But the law also doesn't stop there. It requires friends, family, and community members to report people in same-sex relationships to the authorities. With Rights Act, saying this effectively creates a police state, like one who told BBC, there is a lot of blackmail. People are receiving calls that if you don't give me money, I will report that you are gay. And adding that in some areas, even law enforcers are using the current environment to extort money from people who they accuse of being gay. Even some families are reporting their children to police. But also, that's not to say that all of this is entirely new, right? This is just following years of state-led persecution of LGBTQ people, events, and organizations. But as far as this new bill, President Museveni is almost certainly about to sign it into law. Though, if there was a last-second audible, it would likely be because they don't want to scare off four and donors and investors, right? Because for example, the United States currently sends about a billion dollars in development aid every year to Uganda, which it considers an ally on the continent. But on the other hand, there are also a lot of material benefits to passing this law for him, right? Not only does he get to appeal to his bigot base, but it's also gonna be easier for him to crack down on his political opposition with a provision criminalizing individuals, institutions, or media groups that support LGBTQ rights, activities, or organizations. Plus the law and his homophobic politics in general get to distract away from Uganda's economic problems. Right, Museveni gets to distract from his failures and he gets to pose as a defender of native Ugandan values against neo-colonial meddling by Western liberals. Which is also ironic as Western meddling was at least partially responsible for his anti-LGBTQ movement in the first place. Right? Like in the 2000s, a legion of conservative American preachers went to Uganda to oppose homosexuality and even worked with legislators on the first law banning same-sex activity in 2009. Or we're talking about people like megachurch pastor Rick Warren, prominent voice for homophobia in East Africa, also had ties to some of Uganda's political elite in the 2000s. Or pastor Scott Lively, whose speeches and writings about a global gay agenda to dominate the world were influential in Uganda around the same time, with him even claiming that gay men caused the Holocaust and the Rwandan genocide. Though, regarding Warren, he later condemned the country's anti-gay law in 2009, calling it extreme. But yeah, that's the end of that story. Uh, disgusting, bigoted scumbags doing disgusting, bigoted things. And then, after Putin or his body double embarrassed themselves in occupied territory last weekend, Ukrainian President Zelensky made a trip of his own, venturing out to the front lines near the eastern city of Bakhmut, where notably some of the war's bloodiest fights have been raging for months. You see him handing out medals to battle-worn soldiers, thanking them for their service. And in the city, Ukrainian forces are barely holding off a Russian advance from the north and south, which is impressive given their limited resources. Or you see soldiers digging into old-school trenches, with some even resorting to 19th-century weaponry like the Maxim gun. But if the city falls, it'll deal a heavy blow to Ukraine's morale since they poured so many resources into it as a stronghold in the Donetsk region. Meanwhile, back on the home front, Russian drones struck Kyiv just hours after Zelensky's trip, reportedly hitting a high school and killing at least seven people. It's also coming a day after Japan's prime minister visited Ukraine, the first time a Japanese PM has visited a region with active conflict since World War II. With that happening after he received pressure to do so because Japan was the only G7 country left that had not gone to Ukraine. Though, very notably, last month his government pledged $5.5 billion in humanitarian aid, quadrupling its previous contributions, which is absolutely tremendous for Ukraine, where the invasion has absolutely squeezed the country's finances. And the economy there shrinking by nearly a third last year while the remaining tax revenue went increasingly toward military spending. So naturally, that puffed up a big budget deficit that's been financed from abroad, and on that, we saw huge news coming 
out today, namely that the International Monetary Fund has agreed to a $15 billion loan package for Kyiv that'll roll out over the next four years. And that's a key thing because it'll relieve pressure to print more money, to pay for state salaries, basic services, and pensions, which could run up inflation. And that's where today's show ends. For more news you need to know, but you might have missed, definitely check out here. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you tomorrow.